Welcome to another edition of the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. I'm John Abbott alongside Peter Sashecki. As we are each and every episode, it's number 11 already. Uh, he is the president of Everything Financial. You can find him at everythingfinancial.com, Everything Mortgages, now the new home of that as well. And uh, this is this is a fun time here. We're into the holiday season, and we're looking to brighten up the new year, hopefully in 2021, for everybody's life, uh, considering what 2020 uh, incurred and, and meant to us. So uh, on to things new, on to the brighter positive side uh, with the calendar change as well. And uh, before we get going on today's topic, which is the top 10 personal finance New Year's resolutions, I want to thank everybody for listening to episode number 10, uh, setting you up uh, for retirement a little bit better uh, with those uh, five um, per- potentially unexpected uh, costs incurred, and Peter going through those. Uh, worth a listen if you haven't already, back to episode 10, but thanks to everyone who did. You can like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform and on the Everything Financial YouTube channel. Peter, uh, hello, happy holidays to you, and uh, this is going to be fun as we uh, rattle these off. It, it is, and happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you and your family, as this is January 1st when we're airing this, so um, and hopefully everyone's feeling good from the night before and, and, and kept control. And since it is my podcast, I can truly say that 2020 was a bit of a shit show. <laughs> I can say that. I know I'm not edited out, but it was. So let's look at 2021, making it the year to move forward. Leave 2020 in the past, though. There was some still some good things that came out of 2020. In all seriousness, you have to take the positive. But now it's time to say, okay, that was a lesson last year in finances because a lot of unexpected things happened. Let's look at moving forward so we're better prepared for the next financial crisis that will occur because I've been doing this for 30 years, 31 years now. Tomorrow's my anniversary, 31 years in the business. Um, And all I can tell you is that wasn't the last one. There will be other ones of different magnitudes. So this is where you prepare for them. And that's what this episode's all about. That's right. And out of 2020 into 2021 and of the many things we learned, I think uh, we can uh, suggest on this podcast, not just because it is a, a personal finance podcast, but just what happened, as you said, in 2020. Boy, if you hadn't uh, t- registered with a, a financial planner, if you haven't gone to get a financial plan started, you're going to want to in 2021 because you think back to 2020 and go, oh, I wish I would have done this sooner. And uh, let's not have those same feelings. Let's let's move on to the positive. And so let's get to the. Yeah. I love the. I love the top ten list. This is fantastic. I've always wanted to roll one of these down. So we get to do so now uh, with the top ten personal finance New Year's resolutions. And uh, I don't have that uh, catchy drum roll, but we'll get to number one. Uh, resolve to take control, take ownership of your personal finances. And that may sound like a natural thing, Peter, but uh, oftentimes these are things. People put in the background, maybe they're not as front and center as they should be, or it's just what we were talking about, reacting to things too late. So uh, let's get your ideas on the first resolution, which is owning um, your personal finances and how you can do that. Yeah, it's your responsibility. Remember this, as we call it's your money. And it is. I've been saying that for years. Hence, it was pretty easy to come up with a title for these things, wasn't it, when we figured that out. But I've been saying that all the time. It's your money. You can't depend on anyone else, any financial planner, advisor, even when I am as a registered financial planner, you can't depend on them to find you. You have to find them. Don't think I don't have enough. 
I'm not in the right situation. Take control of your money and demand, want help. If you are still, if you are investing money with somebody and you have an investment program, an RSP program, take responsibility and go, what am I getting for that investment? Am I getting a nice card once a year? Am I getting, no, you should be getting a plan. And I've made this my mission in life. And you know this, John, that no one has too small of an account that they should not demand a plan. So this is time for you to go out and do that. If you're not getting a plan, go to someone else. Start interviewing people. Get your list of two or three people. Look for registered financial planners in your area. And why I say registered financial planners, I have a few different designations. It means I went to, went, went to school for a long time. That's really what it starts out with. Anyone can get a designation eventually. The key is someone who's going to be totally transparent. You've got to interview someone. First, you have to get along with them. There's got to be a good rapport and you, you both are on the same page, but someone who's going to be completely transparent and disclose every fee they get paid to you. And that is not the mutual fund salesperson. Registered financial planners have to disclose every fee. There's a lot of them out there. Start looking for one in your area, but it all starts with you. You're the one who has to make the initiative and make the first phone call. And you don't have to go to the first person you meet. Shop around if you have to. So that'd be start, starting one starts with you. And I like that, Peter, because uh, in, in saying that it's your money, it's your finances, this is the Your Money Personal Finance podcast. Another chance to, to reveal um, and repeat the title of this. But I think you hit on something there. Um, and alluded to something there that would be different in going to see a financial planner, creating a financial plan, is that it is you. It, it is, it's all about you. It's not about going into a bank and being um, thrown a lot of terms that you may not understand. Like, uh, at everything financial, your service, I can speak to. You take the time to sit down with people, take the time to explain everything, and, and, and that's what you need. You need to be confident in your plan as well, right? Absolutely. And if you just, if your gut's telling you something's wrong, your gut's probably right. It might not just be a bad burrito from the night before. Um, so if your gut says something's not there and you're not getting the answers, go elsewhere or demand the answers. I mean, and I'll be quite frank, we've had instances because we have, you know, I have 12 staff and, and I'm involved in every plan. The buck stops with me. My name's on the door. But we have associate advisors. But one thing I went to, and this is a question to ask when you're getting your plan done, who makes commission? Does anyone get commission off my plan? None of our salespeople are commissioned salespeople. It's a team approach where it's me and another member or two of the team who work on your plan. Because I, with the, the three offices here and the one in the United States, I obviously can't be in every single meeting. But the idea is, no one is commissioned and that way everyone is working for the common good of your plan. And that's the approach you want to see and get that, um, get that told you right from the beginning. How are people being paid? That's important if it's your plan. That's key. Top 10 uh, finance New Year's resolutions. Number two on the resolution list, resolve to make a proper financial plan. And the key there is proper because as you're kind of hinting that, you can, uh, maybe you can go lots of places and plans can be thrown at you. It doesn't mean it's the one that works for you or fits your lifestyle. So 
Maybe you can expand on what uh, view, you view as proper well, financial planning. It's real simple. But only 3% of the population have an actual plan. There's a difference here. There's plans, and then there's what everyone else does, and that's projections. And I'm not the only one who does proper plans, but that's what I'm getting at is in that 3%. Most people come in, and they, I have a plan. Look, and they put it on my table. See, it says financial plan right here. And I'm looking at it, and they go, ah, no. That's a projection. It's saying if you put this much money away and you make this much rate of return, this is how much you're going to have down the road. Okay. So what is that amount down the road? If I, in fact, make that ridiculous projection you're talking about, what is that going to do for me? How much tax am I going to pay? How long is that money going to last? Do I have enough money in my pension, my RSP? My, how much do I need for my kids' RESP? How much life insurance do I need if I drop dead tomorrow? What does my wife need? Or my husband need it, you know, depending to raise the kids because there's daycare costs. There's all, you know, those things. God forbid, John, I wouldn't wish this, but this is just me being blunt saying three children. If something happened, God forbid, to your spouse, how much money is put aside to help you raise the kids while you also work yeah. and do all your media stuff? Right. These are all the questions that need to be asked. Those hard hitting questions are what are, are what are asked when you're setting up a plan. A financial plan is not going to the bank teller, and they're called a teller for a reason because they're definitely not a listener. It's not going in there and giving them a bunch of money for your RSPs. I had someone actually say to me, have you maxed out your RSPs? This was the version of a financial plan. And it's like, why would you ask that? She didn't look at me, no eye contact. Well, if you don't maximize your RSPs, how are you going to retire? And then I went off on her, which was not fair, but I did. And the manager who knows me well and knows what I do and knows the media stuff was behind her and just kind of went, oh my gosh, here we go. He's, he's, he's going to give it to her. But that is not a financial plan. Maximizing RSPs is not a financial plan. That's just a purchase of a product. So make sure you have a real plan that tells you where you are, what you need to do to get to where you want to be. And that plan should be reviewed every year. I mean, self-promotion, full disclosure, we call it GPS because our plan does that. It's like the GPS in your car. Where are you now? Where are you going to be? What roadmap do you need to take to get there? But it's reviewed every year in case you take a wrong turn. It's easy to get back on track if you made a bad left or right somewhere. That's why you want to review the, turn the plan every year. And that's where the person should go, okay, in order to be on track, you need this much of RSP should be here now. Your TFSA should be here now, et cetera, et cetera. And you can check to see if you're on track. You might be a little behind in some areas, a little ahead in other areas. So then you can adjust your expenses accordingly, just, you know, based on if you're on track or not. And if you're way ahead of the game, hey, maybe there's some extra money there you can spend on your family, not waiting till you're 65. You can do it now in 2021 and go, finally, we can go back to Disneyland or whatever the case may be. Uh, Peter Stashecki, president of Everything Financial, joins us, and he's talking about his Omni formula and GPS, guidance, performance, and strategy, which leads into uh, our next resolution, but I want to get there just yet. Um, of the many hindrances for people avoiding going to uh, see you, perhaps, um, to develop a financial plan, maybe... Well, I don't, I don't have time for that. Uh, it's, it takes forever. Uh, can you share with us the... Uh, the the development behind a plan and, uh, and you're going to spend time with people. Absolutely. But for those, for those that are thinking it's, it's, uh, you know, blocking off 
calendar days every every day for a week or something. It's just not the case. No, it's just, we do it as a very slow, very methodical process. I have a commitment to it. There is never a meeting longer than an hour because, gosh, would you really want to listen to me longer than an hour? My wife doesn't want to listen to me longer than an hour. So um, it should be slow, methodical, but more importantly, it should be educational. It's your money. The person should be empowering you to be able to take control of your money and helping teach you. And if you don't get it, take it back a step and slow it down. Some people want to fast forward through the process. Most want to go slow and methodical because if you're in your 30s or 40s, taking four or five meetings over a couple months, so four or five hours over a couple months to look after your next 20 or 30 years is a pretty good investment into your long-term financial goals, I think. And, and you know what? Really, not me, any financial planner out there, do you really want to go into a sit in a meeting for about two hours? Not a chance. Like, no way, because I'm going to nod off. I do it for a living and I would nod off listening to myself that long. I mean, keep it, keep it slow, keep it short, keep it topical, keep it informative. But more importantly, ask them afterwards if you're going to get a written report of what was said in that meeting. Every client gets, a, gets an email from us with a meeting summary, no matter what the meeting is, because as soon as they leave my office, they're thinking about, oh, yeah, I got to go to the store and grab this. I got to pick up the kids. I got to get them to soccer or hockey or whatever on time. Their mind's gone and they forget about those things in that meeting. Make sure whoever you're dealing with sends you a, a summary afterwards so you can review it. And then you always have a written, a written record, which is also important. And that brings us to resolution number three, resolve to know who you're dealing with and what is in your best interest. And uh, so you just touched on it at the end of that answer, Peter, but expand on that for me. And it seems obvious that you would want all of that information in front of you. You would want a thorough review. You'd want all the things that are important to you covered. But that's not necessarily what happens every time. No, a few questions to know going in. These are the things you want to write down so you can play this back later. Ask them what their designation is. Are they a financial advisor? Because anyone can use that term. Are they a certified financial planner? Or are they a registered financial planner? A registered, and there's also a professional financial planner. There's a few others too, depending on the, the education path they took. But registered financial planner is like the PhD in financial planning. They're the top of the heap. They're the ones, though, that have to have full disclosure, first off. Another question, um, ask them how they get paid. Are you getting commissions? What is your commission from this company versus that company? Because here's the thing with mutual funds and why I'm so dead set against them. I used to sell them full disclosure until I realized about all the hidden embedded fees that do not have to be disclosed in this country. This is where the U.S., and I know we make jokes still in this day and age about the U.S., people don't realize this, especially because of the 08 crisis, the financial crisis that occurred in the U.S. U.S. is way ahead of us in Canada when it comes to disclosure. Certain type of mutual funds can't even be sold anymore that have all these built-in and vetted um, deferred sales commission, DSC fees. You want your financial planner, registered financial planner or otherwise, to be dealing with an independent portfolio management company. Then you have a team who is actually a fiduciary who only has your best interest at heart, not what's getting paid to the planner. They have to answer to you and the Securities Commission. 
If your financial planner is not dealing with a portfolio management company and they're selling mutual funds, ask them why. Who's best served by that? The financial planner is with the commissions, not you. So guess what? Look for another one. There may be, then you'll get the answer from the bank. Well, your money's not protected if you go to one of these independent portfolio management companies. Your money's protected the exact same way because they use a custodian, which is like the vault that holds the money. The vaults are the big banks, actually. They have to register with a bank to actually hold your money securely. Find a financial planner, use the portfolio management company, and you're halfway home. You mentioned fees. That's a big one. I know this is this is a platform that you want to use to educate, to warn, to guide people uh, away from not recognizing some of the fees that they're paying in in uh, previous setups and trying to move them away from that. So this is a this is a big one. Number four, resolution number four: resolve to know your fees, including how much you're paying, as you just said, for the services you're getting. And uh, we we can't hammer this one down enough because I know through talking to you, through listening to you, this is one that affects everybody, and uh, so many still don't know. Yeah, we have four portfolio management companies we've vetted, we've chosen to deal with. For a couple reasons. First reason, they all have the same principle, which is their motto, if you will, or their, their, their job is their number one priority is conservation of principle. It's not about what they make you. It's about what they don't lose you first off. But they all pay us the same fee. So we're not choosing one of these companies based on who they're going to give us this or they're going to give us that. They're, they're sending us on a nice junket to go play golf somewhere or go to some or the Super Bowl. None of that. They pay us a fee. It's a flat fee from all those companies. So first off, that should be disclosed in the initial meeting from your planner. How do they get paid? How do they get compensated? And what is the amount of that compensation? We do insurance in our business. Full disclosure, we get paid for insurance policies. Every single insurance company pays us the same structure. So if we buy your life insurance policy through company A or company B, doesn't matter. They pay us the same. We want the best policy for the lowest price. When we do benefits for companies, we get paid on those benefits. But how do we get the commission? Do we get a commission on the premium or do we get paid a commission on the usage? If we get paid a commission on the usage, it's way cheaper for the employer to put the benefits plan in place. So ask all these questions about every single thing. Mortgage as well. Mortgages a lot of times are sold based on commission not the need of the purchaser. They're selling the, because mortgages have different commissions depending on the length of term. Mortgage brokers don't want to sell line of credit things because they hardly get paid on them. They always want the five-year variable with the enhancements. Let's get the big commission. Ask those questions on the first meeting, take time to digest it, and all those things should be in writing for you to refer back to later. So ask it, get the answers, and then decide if you're, and then, long as you know what it is, that's okay. It doesn't matter what it is, as long as you get full disclosure. And that's the biggest problem I have with the mutual fund in the bank business. There is not full disclosure. They will say, here is your fee. And they will tell them about one fee where there's two other embedded fees in there. There's taxes, there's trading costs. They never even mention it. And I don't know, for the most part, if it's because the salesperson, the mutual fund salesperson at the bank is trying to pull the wool over your eyes. I just think they don't have a clue what the fees are. I've seen it. So ask the fees. And if you go to an independent portfolio manager, 
by law, they have to disclose everything. They are a fiduciary. That is key. So again, partner up with an advisor who farms out the management of the investment to them because this is how it should be. You build the plan, the financial plan, and then the portfolio manager builds a portfolio to fit the plan, not the other way around. What came first, the chicken or the egg? I don't know. The plan came first before the investments, though. I do know that. <laughs> if you want more help or you want uh, some sound advice and uh, you want to be on the track to success with everything fully disclosed and uh, knowing what to plan around really as well when it comes to your investing as well, you can find Peter Sushecki at everythingfinancial.com. Uh, plenty of locations and now online appointments as well. This is the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. We're counting down our top 10 financial New Year's resolutions. We're at number five already. Uh, this is a big one. Again, uh, it seems like I could say this about several points, but easy to put off or easy to look past, uh, depending on what stage of life you're in. Thinking perhaps it, it's not pressing, it's not, uh, don't want to commit the, the money um, in this area, but resolve to get your uh, estate planning done, your will, your power of attorney, any kind of advanced uh, medical directives as well. Uh, because, as again, as we go back to 2020, sorry, sorry, everybody, you just don't know what's going to happen, and it can happen yeah. quick. So, uh, Peter, hammer home why that's so important and, and why it can be easy yeah, to set You don't need your up. financial planner for this. You can go onto our website and download a will template free of charge. You don't have to come to us. It's just there for you to, to help get you on the way. Make this this is number five on a thing. It could just as easily be number one. They're not really in an order of importance. Let's make that clear. Get nope. this one done. That's right. Go to a local notary. Go to your local lawyer who you use. If, you're, if your will's been sitting in a drawer for years, get them to review it. It's the, it's the best money you could ever spend. Get a will. Get a power of attorney done. It's, and, and that's one of the questions you're going to get asked when you come into our office. Do you have a will? Is it up to date? Do you have a power of attorney? Do you have advanced medical directive? Get these things done to put things in order for down the road because as 2020 showed us, you just never know. But it can be something else. It doesn't have to be COVID. There's always something around the corner. Make this the year to get the will in order. Most important thing for you and your spouse to discuss, if you have, as you, John, young children, first thing you have to figure out, who's going to be the executor for both gone and who's going to be the guardian for our kids. Get that decision out of the way so you're not having an argument because you don't like so-and-so's brother or sister or whatever the case may be. Get that figured out. Book an appointment today at your local notary. I'll put a shameless plug in for Bart Aldrich, who we had back earlier in 2020, who gave us a lot of That's information right. on that. Really good guy. That helps you, of course, if you're in that neck of the woods down in the Port Coquitlam, Coquitlam Mill. That's where he is, his office is. But find someone, I know we have notaries near all our offices too. Um, we're located in places where there's notaries nearby or lawyers. 2021 is the year, start off right, get the will done right away. Make sure everyone's looked after who you love and care for if you're gone. Important one, an easy one to talk about because it matters so much and uh, yet one not to be overlooked. Uh, we will move on to another resolution though. And you, you touched this briefly, a couple of points as well. Uh, resolve not to follow the sheep. Uh, we'll use that polite term and max out your RSP because the bank told you so. So uh, I, I know, again, uh, this may seem like an us versus them thing. Uh, it's really not. It's, it's you. It's about Absolutely. you and your finances. And, uh, Peter, you have enough experience dealing 
uh, with people that have gone astray or people, or you have enough experience dealing with yeah. the banks. So you're someone that actually has that background as opposed to, um, you know, a person that's just walking in and thinking that that's the only option is yeah, the bank. Following not- the sheep is bad. And that was bad. But there we go. Got it out of the way. Got it out that's of the way. right. Here's the thing. We, yeah, I like the bad jokes. <laughs> um, maxing out your RSPs is the biggest scam in the world. It's like, it's like buying, I hope my wife's not watching. It's like buying flowers on Valentine's Day. We do it because we're, we're told we're supposed to and everything is up in price and artificially inflated. Buying RSPs in RSP season is artificially inflated. Maxing out your RSPs is not a retirement plan, and here's why. And I'm just going to stick with one thing today for this, and we'll expand on this in a later episode. It's about taxes. People think, buy more RSPs, buy more RSPs, you'll pay way less in taxes. Yeah, but you're also getting a way smaller refund. Give you an example. It's a 2020 example that really happened. But first off, if you're in a 48% tax bracket, you're a very high income earner, and you buy so much in RSPs, you're now down in a 32% tax bracket. Do the math, 48, 32. What's that, John? That's 16, right? That's Trevor Linden numbers. So what's happened is you just lost 16% of your refund and left it in the government's pocket. How is that for good retirement planning with your RSPs? That's dumb planning. You're leaving money on the table. Spread it out properly. So it's not all RSPs. It's part of debt payment. It's part of TFSAs. It's part of which are tax-free when you take them out later on. RSPs are not the be-all and the end-all. What if you have a job, municipal job, government job, firefighter, police officer, whatever. You have a great pension plan, but your pension plan is not enough for retirement, but it's a good head start. That money is all taxable. All you're doing by buying more RSPs is going into a higher tax bracket. Do it right. Now, here's an example of why buying more RSPs is not good. And this is from January 2020, fresh in my mind. We had a gentleman come in, huge bonus at work, heard us on the the radio and gave us $25,000, very high income bracket. Right then we figured out what the refund is going to be, $11,300. And he had a ton of RSP, found a really good job finally in his life, making lots of money. Well, he says, no problem. I've got so much room. I'm going to buy another $25,000 in RSPs. I spend $50,000. I get a huge head start to my retirement. I'm getting almost $25,000 back. This is great. No. The $11,300 refund went up to $11,500. He dropped himself like four tax brackets by putting in more money. Hence, he really got nothing else back. Why don't you save that $25,000 for next year when you can get another $11,300 back? Just because you can buy RSPs doesn't mean you should buy RSPs. It's not a purchase. It's a plan. If you're just buying RSPs, you're falling into the same trap and you're purchasing a product. Make RSPs part of the plan. Don't make them part of the problem in the end with taxes later on. It's a plan, not a project. product purchase. You mentioned TFSA as well, and speaking of plans, I think that's in uh, a lot of people's plans these days uh, because it's so attractive. It's an easy place to allocate uh, without necessarily knowing how you're going to to spend those uh, that money. Uh, but there's a, there's a way to use it. Uh, so resolve to take advantage of your TFSA, 
and to use it properly. I think that's the key uh, advice Absolutely. I'm guessing from you at the tail end of that resolution, Peter. Yes, TFSA, first off, they're named wrong. The government messed up with this one huge. It's called a tax-free savings account. So the banks go, come in, get your tax-free savings account. We're giving you 1% on your TFSA. Okay, just remember what a TFSA is. It should be called the tax-free investment account. So we call them a TFIA, really. You know, the slip says TFSA. If you're not paying tax on the growth ever, you want to earn as much as possible. If you're making a half a percent to 1% in an interest savings account on a TFSA, the refund on that won't even buy you a drink at, we're going to give them a shameless plug, McDonald's dollar drink days. You're saving nothing. The TFSA should be the aggressive part of your investment. We talked about trying to average a rate of return, but if you've got the plan built and there's some of your money you can afford to be more aggressive with, that should be in the TFSA because you're never paying tax on that money. And people say, yeah, but what if I need the money later on for something? You can withdraw money from a TFSA and if you're maximized out, that, that actual amount of money just can't repl be replaced till the following calendar year. So we just did this in December for a lot of clients with the rebound that happened in the market. We looked at how much did you put into your TFSA over your lifetime and what is it worth now? Oh, there's a difference there of 15 grand. That's 15 grand of clear tax-free profit that you can use for your holiday in 2021 when this mess is completely over. Tax-free. And oh, if you need that money later on for retirement and you're making more money you did get a good tax refund from your RSP. Take the refund, help populate your TFSA. Say you have a non-registered investment. Some of those other things we talked about from the line of credit investment for tax purposes. Take the growth on that money that's been invested. Pop it in your TFSA. Future growth, no tax. Make it an investment account, not a daily interest savings account. Don't rip yourself off and fall into that, that trap. If you're going to invest the money, it's going to be tax-free make the money and people are we still we're expecting two percent uh growth in the in the economy each each year i suppose like in the inflation rates so many people just to go back to the beginning may not understand that it's not even making past that like you're not you're not losing seeing money. the growth yeah. you think you're seeing yes yeah if you don't keep pace with inflation you're actually losing money so when you make one percent in the tfsa inflation is two or three you're down money so you better be making more money. And GIC rates generally are about 2% ahead of inflation. That's all they are. People, oh, I remember way back when, when I made 12% on my GIC. That's my parents talking again, my dad. Yeah, dad, inflation was at 10. You really only made two. So this is where you have to take advantage of it. If inflation is low and you can make a real good rate of return on something, that's where the true profit is. It's the real rate of return, the difference between inflation and what you're making. So again, TFSA, put it in something a little more aggressive, talk to the portfolio manager. They will make the TFSA a different design portfolio than the rest of your money on purpose to help you make more profit. Let's get to our eighth uh, resolution in our top 10 financial New Year's resolutions. And again, in no particular order, but we need to get through 10 of these. And yep. that's the fun that I'm having is yep. rattling off these. Your everything mortgages as well. We want to remind people because it applies to this one. Number eight, resolve to turn your mortgage into a line of credit and interest instead of traditional compound interest. Uh, I, this may be, I, I have a feeling many people wouldn't know how to do this or why they should do this, Peter. 
Yeah, you're allowed to have 65% of your mortgage as a line of credit. It's simple interest. It's a different calculation than compound interest. You're actually getting way more put against your principal. So an average mortgage, let's say right now, it varies. I mean, we had a low rate there at the end of 2020, but let's say you're 2.3, 2.4, somewhere in there, but you can get a line of credit for 2.45, 2.65, maybe some companies it's 2.95. It's generally within a half a percent of prime. And all you hear from the mortgage broker is, why would you want to pay 2.95 if I can get you 2.45 on the compound interest? It's my mortgage broker impression, I guess. But what they're not telling you is they're getting potentially one and a quarter percent commission on the five-year mortgage at 2.35, 2.45, but they're getting a quarter percent commission on the simple interest mortgage, where the actual simple interest mortgage at 2.95, because of the way it's calculated, is actually going to cost you less money. It's actually cheaper and will help you pay off your house faster. But not only that, here's the thing when COVID happened. It's more flexible. What if you lose a job? What if you can't work and suddenly you're stuck with these high mortgage payments? Not that I would recommend this for a long-term thing, for sure, but at least with a simple interest mortgage, if, if financial tragedy strikes your family, you could go to paying interest only. Yeah, you're never going to pay down your principal that way, but what if you went from paying $2,000 to about $400 just to help you get through the tough times? I'm not saying always to, it's not best for people with a lack of discipline for their whole mortgage to be simple interest, but we've done some studies on the computers. And if you can make a percentage of your mortgage simple interest and a percentage of it compound interest, the interest you save on the, the payment you save on the simple interest part, you can take all that extra cash flow and pay down the compound interest part of your mortgage way faster. So in a nutshell, the design of the mortgage should really be part of the design of your plan. It's like RSPs we talk about, mutual funds, investments, all that stuff. It's not just a product purchase. It's a plan purchased. So we talked about how do you find your financial advisor, your financial planner. Look for a registered financial planner who has a mortgage broker on staff, who has someone who's a financial planner and a mortgage broker, so then they can make the purchase of the mortgage part of your plan. So you get the right mortgage for your situation. Because the problem is everyone buys five-year mortgages, but 90% of the people change their house in three years. Guess who pays the penalties? You do. Guess who makes the money? The mortgage broker or the bank. They don't care about the penalties. They got paid their commission. That penalty doesn't come out of their commission, it comes out of your pocket. Construct a mortgage with a few different pieces that is more flexible to fit your plan, fit your lifestyle, and fit how you get paid in your job. That's how I would look for a mortgage. We have questions available at yourmoney at everythingfinancial.com. That's the email address to submit questions. And uh, some that continue to, to pop up through our episodes. Now in episode 11, Happy New Year, everybody, is the refinancing your mortgage question. Uh, is there a time to do that? And do people need to be cautious? Yeah, you have to look at the penalties, the blending that people do, um, that you'll get an answer from the banks, the mortgage company. This was big in 2020. As soon as the interest rates because of the COVID crisis went through the floor, all of a sudden, everyone's going out and saying, oh, you should refinance, you should do this, you should do that. This is where you really need to have the, the advisor, the registered financial planner on your team, 
because they can actually calculate the numbers. So some things may sound good. Oh, I'm going from 3% to 1.79% and I'm saving all this money. Oh yeah, there's a $20,000 fee for breaking the contract, but hey, I'm gonna make way more than that in the end. We did a lot of analysis in 2020. 99 times out of 100, it was actually costing you way more money. Mortgage brokers and a banker's not gonna tell you that. They're getting a whole new commission. They're recycling mortgages as the, that's how they make their livelihood. It's a commission-based product. I said, refinance when there's a major financial crisis that you really need to change your payments maybe to save your house. Look at doing it then. Or look at refinancing just when your mortgage comes up for renewal of part of your plan and look at then, I'm going to change the whole thing. Or again, maybe you've got a huge job change and you have way more income, higher tax bracket, etc., then you might want to look at partially refinancing because you can actually make your the interest on your mortgage in Canada tax deductible. People don't know that. And people go, yeah, well, I have a business out of my No, no, no. Nothing to do with the business out of your house. Nothing like that. If you Let's go. That's number. What's that? Let's go there. That's yeah, number okay, nine. That's well, number nine. I mean, a business, Let's yeah, do it. you can deduct it. But you can be regular John Abbott, regular Peter Sashecki, regular Jane Doe. I don't know Jane Doe, but I'm sure she's a regular person. But you can really look at restructuring your house and making the interest you pay on your mortgage tax deductible, and it's treated just like an RSP deduction in a sense, it's dollar for dollar deduction. So imagine you have, we talked earlier about a bunch of investment money, but you have a mortgage. You could literally, and this is a whole show for another day that we're gonna get into for sure, <laughs> but you could take that investment, pay down the mortgage. Then you have to wait 31 days. It's a government rule, so maybe wait 35 just to be safe. Then you can take that money back out of your mortgage and invest it. The interest on that mortgage is now tax deductible. And we actually have a computer program with our Omni formula that shows by doing this scenario, how much faster you will pay your house down by taking those tax refunds and applying them against the debt of your mortgage. And you will knock years off your mortgage, way more than the so-called Pay bi-weekly. It's faster. You'll pay your house down way faster. What a crock of you know what. It's actually, mm. That's a whole other thing too. That's a, that's, a, that's a bank thing that makes you spend more money and makes you think you're paying your house down faster, which you are versus just paying monthly. But if you actually took that same amount of money and applied it differently, you'll knock about an extra year or two off of the bi-weekly. We're going to do a show on that, show you just on mortgages again, when we get uh, Vitri Trong back in to do a mortgage talk on different ways to pay your house down. And we're gonna do some real numbers, but refinance when it's to your benefit, not the mortgage broker or the salesperson's benefit because they're gonna pocket some new commission. And you're ahead of that in this country uh, with your advice and recommendations uh, because it's just not the same in Canada as it is in the USA. So if you'd like to learn more about that, everythingfinancial.com. Uh, he is Peter Sashecki, president of Everything Financial, Everything Mortgages too, the new home of Everything Mortgages. So uh, quite topical and timely on that, which rolls us into our 10th uh, financial resolution. for, And that is resolve, um, resolve to get life, disability, and critical insurance. Uh, sometimes that comes with your employment. You're able to see packages. Uh, other times you need to search it out. Why is that important, Peter? Well, as we saw last year, very sad, but 
you could be healthy as you can be one day and next day you're in ICU and two weeks later you're gone. Make sure your loved ones are looked after by buying. Don't just buy insurance for the sake of buying insurance though. Make it part of the plan. Figure out the right amount of insurance you need. So there's some simple questions. How much debt do I have? So we're talking about life insurance right now. How much debt do I have to pay off? Okay, there's, there's a need for insurance. Uh, should I, I should put some money away for emergencies. $15,000, $20,000 for those unforeseen expenses that came up just before you passed away. No one knew they were coming. Funeral expenses, $15,000, $20,000 maybe for that. Do I need money to raise the kids for schooling or anything like that? And then the big one, everything's paid for now. I'm about to pass away. How much money does my spouse need on a monthly basis to supplement his or her income to help raise the kids? Those are the things for life insurance to figure out what you need. Don't overbuy life insurance. Just try and get what you need. And if you've got all these other expenses in your plan when you're starting out, don't overspend. Pause. <laughs> good he can, it's good he can edit. Um, <laughs> don't overspend. Make it as simple as possible with the insurance. Make sure you get the right products. So that's a life insurance product. Disability insurance. Well, if you think about this, and not to sound callous or uncaring, but we just talked about life insurance and all change modes, you're dead. It doesn't matter how much life insurance you have. It does to your spouses and your, and your family, your spouse and your family, your kids, spouses. Well, could be too, um, but you got to leave them money. But the more important one of all is disability insurance. Your ability to earn an income and being healthy is so important. If you can't work anymore, how do you help your family? You can't. So making sure you have the right amount of disability insurance. And we see this all the time where people will come in for a financial review and they have disability insurance through their employer, but they don't realize it's capped. They're only allowed so much. So that's where you have to go, oh, I might need more disability insurance than my employer gives me. Or you just don't have disability insurance through your employer. So look at disability insurance because your ability to continue to feed your family, pay your bills is very important. Critical illness insurance is the last one we'll briefly touch on here. Unfortunately, it's sold as the guilt product, I call it. Oh, you can't get health care for your cancer, your heart attack, whatever in Canada. Buy a big chunk of critical illness insurance. It's paid within 30 days of diagnosis, tax-free. And you can use this money to go to the front of the line and go to the Mayo Clinic or whatever the case may be. Well, yeah, but unfortunately, a lot of times if that's the case, all the critical illness insurance in the world may not help, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. um, so look at critical illness insurance as a way to help out with your retirement plan possibly. So there's four stages to this. If you have life insurance and you pass away, your family has life insurance money to help them carry on financially. But what if you don't pass away? What if you get disabled? Talk about then you have disability insurance, okay? Don't pass away, don't get disabled, live a long life to retirement, you have your RSPs, your investments, your pension plan, all that other stuff we've talked about. Okay, there's three of the things. But here's where the critical illness comes in. So here was the tease and setting up for her. If you get disabled, you only have enough money to really pay your bills, if that. You actually end up taking home less money than you were making. How are you going to save for retirement if you become disabled? You can't. So... Critical illness insurance could be the lump sum of investment you need 
to drop into the investment that can sit and accumulate over the next 20 years if you're so unfortunate to be disabled, but fortunate enough to at least have a disability plan paying you. So look at critical illness as part of your plan to fill in the gap of money if you can never work again. And then you've got yourself covered. And that's all part of doing a proper financial plan. All those things come into play that we've talked about. And if you have more questions, if you'd like uh, some more advice from Peter, if you'd like to get uh, situated with the Omni formula and start uh, your GPS towards uh, a, a stern financial plan and uh, work optional lifestyle, you can find it at everythingfinancial.com, Everything Financial, uh, with plenty of locations in British Columbia. And uh, Peter, you're doing probably the biggest thing we need to remind people is you're you're doing online appointments now uh, because that is still the way of the world, even though we're into 2021, still uh, taking cautious uh, approach to this. Uh, so that's important for people to know that are looking you up right now. You bet. And they can, uh, they can go online to everythingfinancial.com, look at the 1-800 numbers for the different offices to book an appointment. We'll get information out to you. We'll book uh, an introductory meeting as soon as availability is there. And we'd love to get you started on the right path to your own Omni formula and your work optional lifestyle. This was fun. I, I like the top 10 list idea. That was it's great. A good, it's a good and, way to start the new year. And let's stick with these. Unlike going to the gym, you know, every second day for 2021, let's make this one a reality. <laughs> I just assume that through our, uh, our, our podcast editing, you can make me look better. And uh, so that's, that's what I'm going to rely on for that category. Uh, Peter, thanks for starting the new year off with us. Best to you and yours in 2021. I know we're going to be talking again soon. This was episode 11. Stay tuned for future episodes as well. Uh, but best to you and yours in the new year. And I know we want to say that to all of our listeners as well. Thank you. I'm Peter Zaszecki. He's John Abbott. Happy New Year. A successful 2021 to everyone. Love it. Uh, please like, review, and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. You can find us on the Everything Financial YouTube channel as well. That is episode 11 of the Your Money personal finance podcast.